This is Gail Cook. And this is Kara Amy Maxfield. And this this is Permanent Filter. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest podcast of Permanent Filter. My name is Kara Amy Maxfield. And I'm Gail Cook. And we welcome you today to our special Halloween podcast, which is the second part to our favorite horror movies. So this is Oh, the Horror Part 2. So Gail and I are going to be discussing some more entries onto our very long respective lists of horror movies that we have enjoyed. And towards the end of the episode, after we've been discussing some uh, individual treasure, we're also going to discuss what constitutes a horror film. And because horror, what is horror to one person might not necessarily be horror to another. And uh, there's no definitive definition. So we'll try to encapsulate that later on in the show. But I'm going to kick things off with the first entry that I have, which is a movie called Under the Shadow. And it's an Iranian horror film. It's set at the time of the Iranian Revolution. And I had heard about this film a number of years ago. It is from 2014. And I had sort of put off for whatever reason, because I thought, well, sort of culturally, I mean, I enjoy world cinema, to be sure, but I didn't know what that was going to be like, if that was going to translate for me as a non-Iranian in terms of the cultural horror. But I was delighted and horrified in the best way possible to find that it indeed did translate very well. And in fact, one of the most compelling aspects of the movie, which concerns a woman who the movie starts out with um, in the now theocracy of Iran, a woman has been thrown out of the university where she was studying to become a doctor because of political activity she's been in. And in the Iran-Iraq war, there is considerable bombing going on in the city of Taipei where she lives with her husband and young daughter. Her husband is called away. He is also a medical professional Mm -hmm. and to be on the front line. So she is left alone in an apartment building with her daughter. And at one point, an unexploded exploded missile, a dud, is crashes through the ceiling of, I can see Kel's face here. It's kind of... um, and that was that was the feeling that I had upon seeing that scene where herself and some of her neighbors with whom she's close um, burst into the apartment of the of the family to see this missile just in in the most sort of grotesque and juxtaposition possible, just jutting through the ceiling. And then there's an elderly man in the family who's obviously had a heart attack and are protagonist in the story tries to administer CPR but to no avail and uh, another person in the family had said well he was fine I was talking to him what's happened is actually this missile has brought with it evil spirits oh dear as they tend to do yeah (laughs) as they tend so so what what you get with this film is a very you have horror on several levels, which to me is like the best of, of horror films. You've got the very real horror of the war that is taking place and the terror that must be involved in uh, to being in the epicenter of missile strikes and of a war zone. Mm-hmm. You've got the horror of a parent where your, your spouse is away and you are the sole parent 
to a young child who is also very frightened and mm -hmm. much of the movie concerns the daughter having lost her doll and they're being unable to to flee to the countryside to live with relatives as other people in the building are are leaving and it, and and also just sort of the the horror of being in a place in which it's normally there's so much life around and everyone is leaving so it's her and her daughter alone mm -hmm. virtually alone in the apartment building and and it brings in the concept of like the middle eastern sort of um folklore of jinn mm -hmm. so d-j-i-n-n and are they supposed to grant wishes you see that's what i thought gail i i always thought jinn from everything that i i had seen mm -hmm. in sort of you know varying stories where they are the central characters is that they are mischievous so that's kind of, I thought, they're not really helpful, but they're not really harmful. In this case, oh no, they're very much destructive. But it's the fleeting glimpses that the woman has of, like, there's more than one. It's the sense that something is amiss. And the fact that um, the jinn actually take the form of, like, of a woman in this shroud and the traditional sort mm -hmm. of garb of a fundamentalist Muslim woman mm -hmm. that is that is also the fear. This woman who is an educated woman who is very modern. You see her doing her aerobics routines and mm -hmm. hiding the tapes when somebody comes into the door because they have to be very careful about what sort of aspects of modernity that they are incorporating into their lives. And uh you realize that all these fears kind of come to fruition. I felt I spent the whole movie actually, like even though I'm fortunately in very different circumstances that that our heroine is in, but feeling this this just this sense of tremendous unease. Mm -hmm. And so the movie very uh, the under the shadow, uh, the critical acclaim is definitely worth it. Oh, good, good, yeah. I think I've I've heard that of that movie. I just haven't seen it. So yeah, interesting. So I guess I, I will talk about Thirty Days of Night. That was a great vampire movie. Um, it's a two thousand seven film. It stars Danny Houston as Marlowe and Josh Hartnett as I can't remember the character's name because you know Danny Hudson Houston overshadowed Josh Hartnett. So, can't remember. But uh, to me, this is uh, how vampires are. This movie portrays vampires as they would be heartless, remorseless, and brutal. So, no Twilight series here. No. No mm. Twilight at all. Thank God. Mm. This movie is uh, portrays vampires as almost animalistic. Um, they are fearless and arrogant um and just oh, just like i said brutal um there there are the the environment that this movie is in is cold and you know oppressive because it's dark all the time and it just it becomes a character in itself almost with just the oppression of of everybody um it is 
it's amazing how Danny Houston portrayed Marlowe. He he did such a great job. I believed. I believed. And it, it accomplished a great story with very little um, special effects, which is always good when you're just relying on performance. Well, I mean, not entirely. I mean, there were special effects. You know, I believe there was a, a decapitation, which is always entertaining. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, no, but it's it was a take no prisoners movie. Let me tell you, it's really good. And there were a few scenes there where that just stood out. Like um, there was a crazy vampire that uh, went after Josh Hartnett's character, and um, so they were in a building, and there happened to be UV lights in this building. So uh, Josh Hartnett's character burned this vampire with. Um, the UV lights and it was just it was just brilliantly done. So, kudos to them. Sounds. I believe that I have seen that a while back, but it sounds like from your description, Gail, that it's worth a revisit. Absolutely, your, I want to watch it again now. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to maybe prior to or maybe a post Halloween, we'll get together and and uh, watch that together. Absolutely, I'll bring it by. Um. So my next entry on my list is a movie from a few years ago. Um, oh, geez, I think it's maybe more than a, a few uh, years ago, called The Others with Nicole Kidman. That was in 2001. Thank you very much. I was going to say that I was thinking it was 20 years ago, and uh, that nice. is, yeah, pretty much 20, almost a 20-year anniversary. So... The Others is a movie that incorporates my one of my favorite things in horror and in other types of films and literature, which is the, the unreliable narrator. So there's something especially disturbing about a horror movie in which you don't really know enough about the character whose viewpoint you're looking at it from. Mm -hmm. But there's something very pleasing on a psychological level about having a twist in perspective to a movie where because you're viewing, because we all view the movie through the main characters, because that's the person who's telling the tale, mm -hmm. right? And we have to believe in someone mm -hmm. and we, we're not privy to what's actually going on so because it's told through their eyes and their viewpoint um we have to trust them but then all of a sudden when they receive information mm -hmm. that is quite a shock and is like shall we say life-changing to them mm -hmm. it becomes all the more staggering to us as the viewer and the reason that i'm being somewhat cryptic is that i don't it has one of the best plot twists um, Six Cents Be Damned, another favorite of mine, but um, even better than The Sixth Sense, in my estimation, in terms of what the film actually hinges on. Mm. And part of what adds to the creepiness of the film is that you don't really know. Something seems inherently wrong. In this case, it's a, a Nicole Kidman is a mother alone in the house with some help with help in the house 
And this is post-World War II when she's living alone on the Isle of Man in a large house, as one does, with two young children. And the children apparently have some sort of disease whereby sunlight makes them very ill. So the curtains must remain closed at all times. Mm -hmm. And if Nicole Kidman's character will go through room by room, ensuring leading the way when she has her children in tow, uh, entering the room to make sure that nobody has accidentally left the curtains open mm -hmm. wherever the children could get sick. And you're thinking, okay, this is an interesting situation. At one point, her husband returns from war and then wanders out again. Mm, Christopher Eccleston. Christopher, the great Christopher Eccleston. Um, one season is Doctor Who, but it, a great season at that. Um, so he appears and then disappears. But there was post-war Britain um, was a very sort of fragmented time in the real world anyway. Mm -hmm. So yeah. this just kind of adds to the strangeness and this kind of not only the whole dealing with the shell-shocked soldiers who'd come back home, but also dealing with the the upheaval, the social upheaval in Britain. Yeah. And that kind of plays in it too as well with in terms of the health, at one point, sort of an elderly woman and man and a young girl, all of whom say they were professional servants, have come to help out in the house. So there's sort of suspicions all around is how we start to doubt the stability of Nicole Kidman's character. We start to doubt whether or not children are just inherently good or evil and uh, whether they're, you know, whether they're good to have around or whether they can, they will destroy you. Um, so that that's the others in a nutshell. Very much worth a um, very much worth a watch. Well, it and that one again didn't have a lot of effects to no, it, no, and it, it, it really managed to pull pull off the stories. So. Yeah, indeed it did. In fact, the only effect that I can think of was there and i remember this clearly from the trailer where it's you see the young girl playing dress up and it's like i am your daughter and you see a nicole kidman's looking in her hands or you're looking at her daughter's hands and they're like the crypt keepers and you're thinking okay what you know what's going on here that's pretty much the only only sort of special effect, as it were. Well, I liked yeah. what they did with fog when she's walking along the, mm. the the driveway there, and then the fog comes, and then her her husband appears yeah. out of the fog, and it was just like, oh, you can do all that with fog. That's yeah. great. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. A natural. There's something about fog. You know, and, and there was it was nice to see um, Fanula Flanagan. Yeah, that's right. She did a wonderful turn, a, a lovely uh, uh, Irish actress. Yeah, you know, who always sort of classes up everything she's in. Again, speaking to that whole quality about actors and what a difference that makes with quality actors in a film. Like as somebody, uh, uh, several people have commented on. There's certain movies they're not just good horror movies; they're good movies. Period, and the acting yeah. matches that. So. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Well, I really like 2000's uh, The Cell with Jennifer Lopez mm -hmm. and uh, Vincent mm -hmm. D'Onofrio. Sorry, I hope I said his last name right. Mm -hmm. But, uh, oh, and Patrick Bacow. I love that guy. Never get to see him very often, but he's, a, he's an older he? actor. 
He was only in a few scenes. Oh, okay. So, okay. but I always like to see him. Oh, what's in death? <laughs> he was in like Kindred: The Embraced. Oh, okay. I haven't seen <laughs> yeah. that. I'll, okay. I'll show you. I'll, 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 it was a it was a series mm-hmm. about um, basically Vampire the Masquerade. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. a LARP. Okay. Anyway, but uh, what I really liked about the cell, I mean, to me, it wasn't overly scary it was definitely a psychological horror if you will um but it was the, it visually this movie was amazingly beautiful even in the horror aspects of it it was amazingly beautiful like the art direction was oh, staggering, staggering it's staggering yeah it's a good story mm. Definitely, but I think that first-time viewers will just be blown away by the visual aspect of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is the serial killer and the, you know, the whole conflict, but I got to tell you, sometimes I just want to see something beautiful, and, and that that was beautiful and scary. I mean, there's a lot of psychological aspects, and mm-hmm. the... It's terrifying to be in somebody else's consciousness. That's yeah. what I learned. That's what I learned. And I got to tell you, I love that scene when um, Vincent's um, character, Carl, the the evil Carl comes down Mm. the steps and he's attached to the curtains and he, Mm. you you guys, you have to see, even if you just see that one scene where he comes down and the the curtains are attached to his back. Mm. It comes down and the curtains come from the wall mm. and then flow behind mm. him. And it's just, mm. oh, my dear God, I want to have that for my wedding, <laughs> just not attached to my actual back. Because <laughs> that had hurt. And, and not, having some, not having your wedding guests in your consciousness. Probably. Yeah. That, but, would be, that would be awkward, I would say. But did you know... Mm. That, uh, have you ever seen Dracula with... Um, Which one, Dracula t- um, 2009? Or Dracula 20, there was the Dracula with, 2000. The, the Keanu Reeves, the one with Keanu Reeves, so. Winona Ryder. I, I, I've seen a bunch of them. I, I can't remember. Anyway, the one with yeah. Winona Ryder, Keanu Ryder, Keanu Reeves, and oh my God, I can't believe I've forgotten the main character's actor's mm-hmm. name, but they used some of the costuming... From that show, when uh, Jennifer Lopez's character Catherine is lying in and being prepared to to go into Carl's mind, yeah, yeah, the the outfit she's wearing is actually oh, I know what the red one, yeah, it's kind of like it sort of takes the shape. It looks like kind of like some sort of silicone or some sort muscle. of rubber. It, it's yeah. based on muscles. Yeah. You can see, structure. like it's actually, you can see kind of the breast form and everything like that. Yeah. Oh, that, okay. that was that taken was based on what? Based on um, the um, costumes from Dracula. Oh, okay. It was, okay. it's actually um, the same person who did the costuming for, for the cell did, did it for Dracula. And, and apparently that same costumer worked on projects for the director of this movie for the, like for every movie he did. Oh, okay. Cause he just loved her and oh. like loved her work. So mm. yeah. Interesting. Interesting yeah. behind the scenes on that's all part of it too. The art, the great art direction. Of no. the movie. Yeah. Like this, this movie was more of psychological, psychological, mm. um, mm. horror movie. I wasn't, 
overly scared by it. I mean, there were some disturbing scenes for sure, mm -hmm. but it didn't overly scare me, mm -hmm. but definitely intrigued me. Sounds like a good one. It was. So one that, um, you know, it's been said that when you read a book or see a movie that depending on when you see it in your life, it can be a different experience. So sometimes you're not, you don't appreciate something at the time and then you'll see it later mm -hmm. or you'll read something later. And then all of a sudden it's like, Oh, this is so staggeringly good. Why, why was I just like indifferent towards it initially? Mm -hmm. And so it is with my next entry, which is it follows. So something has to be said for actually when you're going to watch any sort of any movie, let alone a horror movie, but it's important to be paying attention. I think last time I had seen it, I think I watched it on Netflix and I was in the midst of working on some, some university project or something and it was on in the background and I'm like, mm, what's really going on? Oh, isn't that the show? That not that the movie where it's supposed to be where people contract? What happens is... Um, you contract through sexual intercourse if you if you have intercourse with somebody who is infected what you what you get is a little sort of parting gift <laughs> is a is some sort of a relentless demon that can wear the face of anybody can be somebody you know frequently takes on the the appearance of someone you know just to mess with your head and kills you horribly and the only way that you can get rid of this demon is to subsequently have sex with another hopefully unsuspecting person um so well at least unsuspecting at the time prior to having intimacy with them because then at like you need to tell them afterwards because if this said it kills them you're next on the list so it's in your best interest well it's actually in your best interest <laughs> somebody put it to be as promiscuous as possible <laughs> so uh when i first heard of the movie um lots of people were talking about it as simply and you know sort of an allegory for for uh, STIs, for sexually transmitted infections. And I can, I can see that. You can yeah, see yeah. that whole kind of, it was, but in fact, it's actually the opposite because like really the, the whole being able to get away from this particular curse is inherent on you sort of getting it away. Once you've, once you've contracted it for you spreading it as far and widely as possible. <laughs> So that actually sort of falls apart, but it is kind of a cheeky play on all of those for horror movies, of which I have no, no love for whatsoever or find particularly interesting, where there was definitely a moral, moralistic aspect where teenagers, the teenagers who were sexually active were the ones who were killed off initially. And generally it was the virginal person, usually the woman who was spared at the end. Mm -hmm. But this, in fact, is kind of a play on that. So mm -hmm. this, this whole movie, there's a certain, including its electronic soundtrack, is a bit of an homage to movies in the you know to Friday the Thirteenth and movies such as that, but it has a chilling, 
a chilling quality all of its own in the very ordinariness. And Gail, you had spoken um, earlier about things not necessarily needing special effects in order to Mm -hmm. be scary. This also has very little, by the way, of special effects. What for me was the most terrifying was the very, several things, the very ordinariness in terms of that it takes on the appearance of people that you know. Or, yeah, or even, well, it was very disturbing. Some of those scenes with people they knew, where people knew, especially where they were relatives and such. Yeah. So there was in one case where you know it was somebody's, it was his mom. In another case, it was the the main character's father, and that adds. The theory is is that the it chooses things that will be as emotionally upsetting mm-hmm. as possible so it's going to have an advantage over you now the thing is the second thing is this business about it follows you and it needs to walk in a straight line to where you where you are in order to catch you but it's there's the relentlessness to it so mm-hmm. several sort of critics of the movie or criticisms of the movie have been well how scary is that from somebody something that's just walking really slow but in my way of thinking, the very sort of slowness of the walk, the very directness, the relentlessness mm-hmm. of it is what is terrifying. So, and I mean, you can never stop looking for it. That's the it, problem. Well, that's the thing, right? That's, like you stop looking for it and you're done. Yeah. So, I mean, there's that unsettling quality of somebody's always following me. Somebody's always, you know what I mean? And it's yeah. like, yeah. And then other people can't see it, so it's not like you can post a guard or something. Do you know what I mean? I would see that's part of that's part of the problem. So in the movie, the main character Jay does have a close circle of friends around her, including her sister. But the thing is, is because the if you haven't been infected by it, or haven't had been infected by the curse, you can't see it. So you see in the movie the limitations to being the only person who can see this. And actually, from a personal point of view, when I was watching this, I thought that in a that in a way is is kind of what it's like to be a person who is dealing with some sort of a like a non psychotic mental um, illness, um, like an obsessive compulsive disorder, where. It's something that other, even people who love you and understand that this is real for you, mm-hmm. the whole notion that it's it's not something that they they fear because they can't see it. And then they're all looking at you like you're crazy. And and that's sort of, that's also part of the whole sort of um, terror of it is, is this sense of you're truly alone. And as you say, you can't get away from it no matter what you do. That's why the opening sequence with several rewatches of the film, it looks as though in the opening uh, of the movie where this young unnamed young woman is killed, it does look very much as though she has basically said, I'm sick of this and and Mm -hmm. has, has, you know, basically awaited her doom. And I mean, thinking about it, I mean, that being in that situation as a person that can see it, but nobody else can, and you're terrified and you're telling people this, it really undermines your credibility in their their eyes. Mm-hmm. So whatever you say, they are like, oh, okay, whatever, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And you're desperately t- trying to save your own life. 
And they're just like, okay, whatever, crazy person, yeah. right? Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, there's that too, where it's just totally undermining your credibility and lowering your chances of success for survival. So, mm -hmm. that's so yeah, that's harsh. <laughs> but true, harsh but true. So that's um, that's it. Follows great soundtrack as well too. I find just even listening to the soundtrack in isolation for the film, mm -hmm. I just find this sense of, shall we say, delicious terror. <laughs> nice, so. I like that delicious <laughs> terror. <laughs> well, my final one on this mm -hmm. is uh, Contagion, two thousand eleven, has. Gwyneth Paltrow and oh my god the guy that plays in Martian <laughs> um, and basically a pandemic from China attacks the US does this sound familiar <laughs> now this is done when in when was Phil's film made in 2011 okay and when I watched it a few years ago I'm like oh this is entertaining and as I was watching it when I didn't have a job and sitting at home and watching this show, <laughs> like, a few months ago, well, about seven months ago, actually, it took on a new, I took on a new appreciation for this film. <laughs> because basically, somebody catches, uh, Gwyneth Paltrow's character catches a disease in China, eating um, the one of the delicacies there, and... Comes back, infects everybody. She was patient zero. And what actually scares me about this one is not the disease itself, but people's reaction to it. People panic. We've all, we may or may not find that familiar. Um, people have food riots waiting for food. Um, they, um, you know, break into houses, break into businesses. Um, there's no garbage pickups because, you know, nobody wants to go out. And it's just terror and panic. And and basically, that's how people would react if this thing was just a little bit worse. And I truly believe that watching that movie, that is everything people would do. And then there's, of course, the CDC's reaction and... Oh my God! So this actually took on a on a a new life for me watching it for the second time around this COVID. Era. And I hadn't seen it before. I watched it for the first time with you, and uh, yeah, it was uh, a very much of a very much of a prescient film. So I mean, I can't speak. I'm only I only. I only have the experience of watching it through during COVID, but I can't, I have nothing to compare it to. And that was, oh, that is very, very alarming. Just how much it, just how much it resembles the art, you know, resembles the real life. Obviously this film is um, with a much worse pandemic, mm. but I mean, never, never know how COVID's going to roll. Right? Mm -hmm. What if it mutates? But I, I really I really think it's worth the watch, actually. I thought it was worth the watch the first time, but mm -hmm. now, you know, with a lot of people still sitting at home, people being unemployed, um, I think that it's definitely worth the, re the, the watch. Mm -hmm. 
Definitely. Just to, just to, uh, just to wrap up all those fears and anxieties that yeah. people have. Yeah. I mean, it's not verbatim on how everything is right now. Pretty darn close though. Yeah. Pretty darn close. So who knows? Let's hope it doesn't get as bad as in the movie. So <laughs> sometimes it's nice. Sometimes there's so not so much an escape from real life in the case of contagion as there is uh, just basically being real life. Um, only less terrifying. Uh, so the last, the last entry on my list and the last entry yeah. for our podcast is one entitled the um, possum, which is oh like my god, eight like a uh, uh, two thousand and eighteen film. And why this film was ever made, I have no idea. <laughs> Go ahead. Just by, by Matthew Holness. <laughs> And it's very much of uh well, did you find it, you, you didn't find it scary or what? I found it really disturbing. Yeah. That's, well, that's the, we'll get into. I, yeah. The whole thing with horror and why that, you know, why, why, you know, is disturbing horror or is it not? But it's, it's a bit of an unconventional choice for a placement on a horror film category, but it is indeed a horrific film. So it has the, the description that I've read of the film as the single best synopsis of a film that I've ever read, that I've ever read, which is a disgraced children's puppeteer goes back to his dilapidated home where his parents have died in a fire um, to confront his lascivious and abusive uncle. And everything that you could want in a movie description is encapsulated in that synopsis there. Oh, so the film, there's, so, but the possum of the title refers to, well, to what we can call the central character, as well as a poem that this main, this disgraced puppeteer reads from his journal. So the disgraced puppeteer portion of it may have something to do with the fact that the puppet looks like a combination of the character's own death mask and the legs of an enormous spider. So I the visual, that description doesn't do the visual justice because while I'm not a person who is in any way uh, interested or frightened by creature features, this did it for me. Well, I have watched a lot of horror movies, a lot of them, and I have to tell you, this prop just, it's just, <laughs> it is the most disturbing prop I have ever come across like I wanted to burn it every time every time I saw this thing it was terrible how about the time and he's I lying can... in bed and he's just in his, like inches from his face and just the Kara Amy I <laughs> while watching this movie <laughs> I have to tell you that I'm like why has she done this to me <laughs> why <laughs> what have I done in my life that she to needed to punish this it's not that it, it's not a bad movie, but I'm just sitting through it going, wow, <laughs> just, just wow. 
<laughs> and every time I saw that damn prop, I just, oh, oh my God. It's a, it's a scene stealer, all right. Well, the film itself, it's not that there's, essentially it is, the, the horror of the film is both in this, the, uh, the puppet, as Gail's describing, um, as well as what's obviously a man with a history of severe abuse as a child, going back to the place of, you know, sort of ground zero of his of his fears and of his abuse in order to confront that, in order to confront his past. Yeah. And what happens is he attempts to rid himself of of this this object of the the possum in question by you know um, burying it by throwing it into a river by like getting rid of like physically divesting himself of it only to have it kind of come back in a way in a way that clearly represents his psycho this sort of the psychological damage that's embedded in this particular horrific puppet. So there's no way that he can, until the end of the film, which is somewhat uplifting. Yeah. But until the end of the film, it's he returns to the sort of the scene of this, of this, this sort of uh, abuse and, and horror by his inability, which is, which is symbolized by his inability to shape this project, to get rid of this thing. Now, I have to give definite props to the actor because the way he moves in the film just completely makes makes that character come alive. I just, you, yeah. The way he moves, because in the um, extras, you see this, this uh, the actor, and he looks different and he moves different and you can tell... You can tell that this is like a stable person, but in the movie itself, you could tell there was something wrong with that yeah, character yeah, just yeah. just simply by the way the guy moved. There's a scene in which, in question, where you see him trying his one of his first attempts to get rid of Awesome, and he's running across kind of the, the moor, and he's running in such a way that he's not using his arms, and then he kind of falls down. As kind of like a toddler, being... didn't you say? Kind of like a toddler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Like it's very much of a a childlike, and there's a real child man aspect to him that is not inconsistent with somebody who has suffered severe child abuse. And uh, and and um, the actor in question, Sean Harris does a phenomenal job. So the movie is basically, it's him and um, the other actor playing his debauched uncle, Alan Armstrong. Um, both powerful actors that really make this movie. It's very, it's very expressionistic. There's sort of some really, along with, along with the, the title creature, there's some very sort of, there's, there's a scene involving kind of black balloons that's in particular that is a motif that's very haunting and certain kind of stark images that to the landscape itself plays this sort of, it, it almost looks like an apocalyptic Britain mm -hmm. that, you know, sort of wins, you know, forlorn 
and empty wind beaten and empty that really contributes to this feeling of this sort of landscape of the mind and it's there's very much if you're looking for existentialist angst you've got it with this film but it's uh a strangely beautiful one in all of its horror so with that with that last entry gail i think that it's interesting that elements of our personal choices have shown a bit of a window into the things that we find personally horrific and it's interesting because any discussion of horror and what what constitute what what categorizes a horror movie and there's as many different answers as there are people depends on what either what you personally or the society that you live in finds to be disturbing because mm -hmm. horror is very often metaphorical right so i find for example on my list there is the the loss of freedom in under the shadow so that's an element of horror right then mm -hmm. um the aspect of being in a chaotic society of being in in under um in a war-torn country or in, in in the midst of like active bombing there's the set sense of compulsion and ability to let go of former abuse of a sense of not being able to trust your own mind mm -hmm. and knowing trying to figure out what the real narrative is and in, and and in it follows a sense of unrelenting free-floating fear so those are those are some of the joyful elements that have re sort of come through my list um, how about for you do you find that your list reflects a sense of your personal fears um, yeah, because I'm not pretty, uh, yeah, like I, for especially things like Contagion, where I'm, I've always been interested in um, movies that would show people's real, true colors, mm -hmm. like with Contagion, people are like, we're, we're animals, and I mean, even with 30 Days of Night, mm -hmm. that's the realistic animal side of, of the humans right like um what i've also noticed about all of our um choices really was that other than maybe the cell they didn't real really um rely on a lot of special effects to forward the movie interesting yeah it was true. all the psychological um and practical effects mm -hmm. That you didn't, they didn't spend like a whole bunch mm -hmm. on, you know, CGI like mm -hmm. a Star Wars or anything. It mm -hmm. was just, there was some, obviously. Yeah, yeah. But, but very I, little, relatively speaking. Because it all yeah. was character based. Mm -hmm. A lot of it was character driven rather yeah. than effects driven. And, mm -hmm. and I think that is uh, represented by both all of our choices mm -hmm. together. I would Do you agree. know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I really do prefer the psychological mm. and things that are a little, not realistic, but are portrayed in a more realistic manner, mm -hmm. like Contagion and maybe, you know, I mean, vampires aren't Twilight. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. So. Exactly. And vampires also the an, an additional sort of um, aspect of why people have found the concept of vampires scary 
has to do with the very psychological issue or with the psychological fear of not being able to trust people you're close to. Mm -hmm. They wear the faces and they look like people yeah. that you that that are of loved ones and they have, as it said, their memories and their personalities, but they're not them. So it's there's very much the sense of what if you were close to someone and you didn't know whether you could trust them anymore. Exactly. So well, that element of the vampire, right? It's not a monster. It walks amongst us. And I really feel things like contagion um, portray that as well because it's the person you knew yesterday when things were good and then suddenly you can't trust them anymore. Will they take my food? Will they kill me for it? That's right. That's right. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, that's very true. How far yeah. will they go to get the the antivirus or yeah. whatever, right? Yeah. So. I mean, it all. And how close can you get to somebody if you fear that their closeness to you, physical closeness, might very well kill you? I mean, with the cell, it was more like, oh my God, that's so mm -hmm. horribly pretty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just a terrible, like, just a beautiful, like, a, a, a horrible glamour to it, a horrible glamour to it that is. Yeah. But I, I really do think, like, things like uh, contagion and. 30 days of night are also have themes of betrayal mm. because you're betraying mm. trust and sure. stuff like that. So mm. yeah, those I guess are, are my favorite kind of movies. Where... That's, but you know, what's interesting with me. So when most people are, and, and you're essentially one of the few friends that I have or had that has enjoyed the category of horror, how we define it. Most times I've either had to trick friends into coming into the theater with me and then they've been extremely angry about it. But there has been some deception involved in getting them to watch any horror movies. And then, but it's interesting because a, a, a friend of mine who's since passed away, uh, who was Irish, she had seen when I tricked her into seeing um, <laughs> The Sixth Sense, when we rented The Sixth Sense, or, or I forget how we were watching it. Love that movie. But it's, um, she said, this isn't a horror movie. This is a beautiful film about disconnection and reconnection. Oh, wow. So she and didn't that's see true. it as an Irish person. She's like, oh, no, ghosts and that. She thought, she, she said there was, there was a misunderstanding between us as to what constitutes horror in her mind. Horror equals slasher. And I dare say right. that a lot of other people, they're like, I don't like gore. I'm not interested in an axe-wielding or chainsaw-wielding maniac. And I said, well, then we're on the same page because I can't stand that. Well, you know, so, I mean, I like me a good kill here and there. Movie kill. But I do like some um, substance behind it, like, you know, like the aforementioned movies where there's substance behind it rather than I just had a bad day and now I'm going to kill somebody because it makes me feel better. Mm -hmm. I'm just a real jerk. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. these have, yeah. have, I'm not going to say reasons, yeah. but they have substance behind them. Yeah. That's why I liked Hellraiser mm -hmm. and, and movies mm -hmm. like that where mm -hmm. there's substance you know, behind and, and a like, certain morality from the yeah. way I haven't seen Hellraiser, There's, but I am a fan of of Clive of, of Clive Barker and and his written works. And there there is sort of a deeper, as you had said, with that movie. There was rules that govern 
uh, rules that govern kind of the the world that's created. Yeah. And that's very important. So this sense of, I, I don't know, I guess there's a sense overall of that there's some, not necessarily that justice always prevails. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of times people are left in, if they're not left left for dead or ruined, psychologically yeah. ruined, they're left with a sense of unease yeah. um, that follows the viewer as well too. But there is a sense that these important elements in society, important subjects are dealt with through the astonishing sort of metaphor of horror, however you yeah. define it. And uh, the character's morality doesn't have to be our morality. Yeah. It just has to be some kind of substance. That's a good point. That's a yeah. good point. But there's more depth than, uh, there's much depth to these two horror movies. To good ones in general. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, that's the end of our podcast, and we will see you next week. And happy Halloween! Woo! This is Gail Cook. And this is Kara Amy Maxfield. And have a wonderful evening. Cheers, guys. <laughs>